Brilliant. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you this morning. My name is Johnny. I work for Stand By Me. Stand By Me started a long, long time ago, 24 years ago. We started in a garden shed, and the aim was to try and get 60 boys in a home in Lebanon looked after, to find 60 people who would sponsor them, to stand by them, to show them God's love. 24 years later, we've looked after 11,000 boys and girls around the world. Today, we have 3,500 boys and girls that we look after in nine different countries around the world. And this morning, we're going to go on a little bit of an adventure to visit some of those countries. Now, any adventure normally requires a few things. If you've been in the airport over the summer, you'll have probably packed one of these. You'll have crossed your fingers and hoped that it'll fit inside EasyJet's overhead locker or wherever else it may have been. You need to bring your luggage with you. The other thing that you need is you need your passport. And finally, the thing that is very, very important is you need to have your ticket. So you do. You must have your ticket. If you forget your ticket, you're the person tapping your pockets, trying to find it. It can be a little bit of a panic. And last year, I was here in Istanbul on my way to visit our boys and girls in a country called Nepal. And I was very, very organized. I had printed my ticket at home. That's how organized I was. And the reason why is if you ever get to go to Nepal, when you fly in, you fly past the Himalayas, the biggest mountains in the world. And so this is the flight that you want the window seat for. Hands up if you're the person in your family who gets the window seat. Hands up. There's a few parents whose hands are going up. Need to reassess life choices there. Parents got to let the kids have the window seat. Well, luckily for me, I was going by myself. So that's why I printed my ticket at home, because I wanted to make sure that I had the window seat. I arrived in from Dublin Airport in here in Istanbul, and I was meant to have one hour and 15 minutes to get from one aeroplane to the other aeroplane. My first flight was exactly one hour late, which meant I had 15 minutes, which meant I was one of those people. Those people you see in the airport who you think are really disorganized, running with their suitcase, shouting, wait for me, wait for me. I got down to the gate, and when I got there, I handed my ticket to the man who was looking after it, and he took it, and he put it under the wee, the wee machine. I'm sure it has a name. I just call it the, the scanny, scanny thing that they put the tickets underneath, and he put it underneath where it normally flashes green, and they let you on the plane, except mine flashed red, and it made a horrible noise. It went, Arr! and I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> and he handed me it back, and he said, there's a problem with your ticket. And I thought, oh, dear. <laughs> I said, do you want to try again? So he took it, and he put it back in again, and again it flashed red, and again it went, Arr! and he looked at the wee computer screen, and he said, oh, I see what it is. We've had to move your seat. And I was like, you can't move my seat. I understand that when you travel on your own, you have to be moved around the plane and they want mums and dads and brothers and sisters to all sit together. I was like, but I don't care. Mum can be at the front, dad can be at the back, kids can be upstairs, downstairs. I don't mind. I want my window seat. Now, luckily, I didn't get a chance to say any of that because before I could say that, he finished his sentence. He said, oh, I see what it is. 
we've had to move your seat, so we're upgrading you <laughs> to business class. I have never been so glad that I kept my mouth closed. There is a life lesson there. And I went down to the plane, and all he did was write on the ticket, if you ever want to try this, he just wrote in the ticket, business class in Biro. So I arrived down at the plane, said to the lady, um, the man back there says, apparently I'm allowed to set up the front. And she said, oh, yes, welcome aboard. Mr. Farrell. <laughs> it's like, this is amazing. You don't get a name if you're in the back of the plane, but you've got a name at the front. Sometimes in life, we get way, way more than we're expecting. And as we go on this adventure this morning, we want to make sure that our boys and girls around the world get surprised, surprised by God's love and His goodness. There is a brilliant, brilliant story. I'm sure everyone from the youngest to the oldest will know it well. Jesus has been teaching this enormous crowd of way over 5,000 people, 5,000 men and then lots of women and children as well. And as the disciples look out, they realize there's a big problem. No one has food. And I imagine most people are like me. When you get hungry, you get a bit grumpy. And so the disciples, well, they came to Jesus with a plan. Their plan was this, send everyone home or back to the nearest town and they can go and get something to eat and then they can come back tomorrow. That sounds like a really, really good idea. But Jesus says, no, they don't need to do that. You give them something to eat. And all of a sudden, the disciples go out around the crowd to figure out who's brought what. Can they pull together a big picnic from what everyone's brought? And they find this one little boy with this one little lunch. Five little bits of bread, two little bits of fish. Nowhere near enough to feed a crowd of this size. Just enough to feed one hungry tummy. And yet this little boy brings his lunch to Jesus and says, It's not much, but if you can use it, you can have it. It seems so small and the problem seems so big and yet Jesus takes this lunch and he prays for the food that everyone's going to enjoy. And then he gives it to the disciples and he tells them to go and take it around the crowd to make sure everyone gets something to eat. And that's exactly what happens. This incredible miracle is this food goes on and on and on and on. So much food miraculously provided that there were 12 baskets of leftovers. The disciples must have been so surprised that day to have seen this incredible miracle firsthand. And I wonder, I wonder how that little boy must have felt as he went home to tell his friends, to tell his neighbors about that he just had this little lunch. And yet when he gave it to Jesus, this is what God was able to do. And as we try and look after boys and girls around the world, we take what we've got in our hand and we try and use it to show them that God loves them and that God cares for them and that God provides for them. And so that takes us to lots and lots of exciting, exciting places to do this. It says in 1 John chapter 3, our love should not just be words and talk. It must be true love, which shows itself 
in action. And that means if we want people to know that God loves them, we need to tell them and we need to show them. And that's what we love to do in Stand By Me. And so our adventure is going to start in the brilliant, in the fantastic country of Colombia. A couple of years ago, I went to visit our boys and girls in a town called Guacamayal in Colombia, way up near the border with Venezuela. And when you get to Guacamayal, it's lots and lots of dusty streets and tiny little shacks that people have as their houses. And the reason why Guacamayal exists is there are lots and lots and lots of banana plantations. If you eat bananas at home, there's a good chance that one of your bananas has come all the way from Colombia and possibly even from Guacamayal. But it's really hard work on the banana plantations. Mums and dads start at six o'clock in the morning and they work all the way through till six o'clock at night. And that means our boys and girls are often left at home by themselves, and that's not great. So one of the things that we do as Stand By Me is we opened a care center to make sure that our boys and girls could come along, they could be looked after, they could be safe during the day, and it is a brilliant, brilliant place. The little boy on the right-hand side of the screen in the orange t-shirt is called Isaac. And rather than me tell you what it's like to live in Colombia, I'm going to let Isaac tell you. There's going to be a little video that plays. There's some subtitles because Isaac speaks Spanish. Mums and dads, if you have little people beside you who don't read English or can't read English yet, then you feel free to make it seem like you're translating Spanish fluently in real time as you whisper along in their ears. Have a little look and you'll meet Isaac. Hola, mi nombre es Isaac David Estrabander y tengo 10 años. Vivo en Guacamayal, zona bananera, que es Colombia. Yo vivo con mi mamá y con mi sobrinito. Se llama John David. Esta es mi casa. life in Colombia is that if you live away out in Guacamayal, you don't go to school for the whole day. You only go to school 
for half the day. Now, I know what you're thinking. If you're about 18 and under, you're going, yes, that sounds brilliant. But if you only go for half the day, it means you only get to learn half of the things. And so we have our care center where our boys and girls get food and water. And as Isaac said, his favorite thing about coming is getting to go to Bible club, getting to hear about God's love for him. And so as our boys and girls come along, they get to play in this brilliant care center, the brightest, most colorful place in Guacamayal. Our boys and girls get help with their homework to make sure that even though they've missed a bit of school, that they get a brilliant chance to become everything that God created them to be. And there's lots and lots of things that our boys and girls want to do. One of the questions I love asking our boys and girls is, if you could be anything in the world when you grow up, what would it be and why? And these were some of the answers. Some of our boys and girls want to be teachers. Others look around and they see the little shacks and they think, well, I could be an architect. I can make a difference that way. Some want to be doctors. This next one is my favorite. This little boy, his name is Juan. And Juan wants to be a lawyer. The only problem I can see is I have never seen a lawyer look as happy in my whole life. So he's going to have to work on the stern kind of lawyer's face. But lots and lots of huge hopes and huge dreams that our kids have. And every day we get to show them that God loves them and we help them to become everything that he created them to be. And then if we fly all the way to the other side of the world, to where I went last year in a very comfortable airplane in business class, we land in Nepal and Shortly after landing, we set off across bumpy roads, and we ended up here in the Kairang Valley in Nepal. Now, this is the furthest away from home I have ever been. To give you an idea, to walk from Krishnamaya's front door to the nearest road. Okay, for your house, it's maybe 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute, maybe five minutes if you live on a farm. For Krishnamaya to walk from her front door to the nearest road takes eight hours to walk to the nearest road. That's on a good day. On a bad day, when it's raining, it could take one to two days as you go up and over the mountains. The Kairang Valley is a really tricky place to live. And for Krishnamaya and her family, well, they grow rice in the rainy season and in the dry season, they grow potatoes. And so we went up into the Kairang Valley a few years ago to reach out to a whole new group of people. And one of those people is this little guy here. His name is Samuel. Samuel is six years old. He'll introduce himself here. And he lives in the Kairang Valley. It is a beautiful place. This is Samuel's back garden. But right through the valley, there's a river. And it cuts the valley in half. On the one side of the river, you have the slightly richer people. And on the other side of the river, you have the slightly people. And Samuel's family, well, they're one of the poorest families in the whole valley. And they live on the poor side, but right away up at the ridge, right at the top of the mountains. And so life can be really, really tricky for Samuel. A couple of years ago, there was a huge earthquake in Nepal, and Samuel's house fell down. So did lots and lots of other people's houses. And so we thought, well, here's a brilliant way that we can show people that God loves them. We were able to rebuild 180 houses to give people a home again, to show them that God loves them. 
Samuel used to be able to collect his water from this tap. He would turn it on and it would be the cleanest, freshest water in the world. But when the earthquake happened, it broke all that water supply. And now Samuel every day has to go from the ridge all the way down to the river, fills up his little jerry can and goes from the river all the way back up to the ridge again just to get a drink of water. And by far and away, the biggest challenge that Samuel has is that Samuel has never, ever, ever been to school. Not only has Samuel never been to school, but no one in his family has ever been to school. We came up with a crazy idea. Could we build a school in the mountains in the Kairang Valley? And last February, when I went out to Nepal, I went out to open this school, the Bethany School in the Kairang Valley, built on top of a little mountain, built over on the poor side of the valley. And every single day, Samuel gets up along with 74 of his friends and they come running through the hills down to our little school, where every single day they get to start with some food and then they get to sing praise to God and they get to hear those incredible stories from the Bible about a God who loves us and cares for us. And for Samuel, this is life-changing. To for the first time ever have a chance to go to school is just incredible. And as I sat with Samuel in his house looking over this beautiful valley, I said, Samuel, if you could be anything in the whole wide world, what would you like to be? And he said, I would like to do one thing. One day, I would like to be a teacher in my school. And I thought, how brilliant is that? And we get to help him every single day, making sure he's got clothes. It can get very cold. So we make sure he gets clothes, shoes on his feet, water, food, chance to go to school, and most importantly, to hear about God who loves him and looks after him. And then the last place that we're going to land is in Ethiopia. In about five weeks' time, I'll be heading back out to Ethiopia to visit some more of our boys and girls because we have just had lots and lots of new boys and girls join our two schools in Ethiopia. And just before the summer, I spent a little bit of time out visiting our boys and girls at school, seeing all the little ways that we are able to help. And this is one of the girls that we are looking after, a way out in a town called Dembadolo. Her name is Sifan, and she lives in this little house with her sister and her brother. Her little brother is called Belisa, and her sister is called Mary. And they live in Dembadolo, but they live in this very, very small house. It's just got one room, and you can almost reach out and touch both walls without having to move. When I went in, one of the things I noticed is they didn't even have a bed. And so that was a very easy thing that we were able to do. We bought them a bed to make sure they were looked after. Every day, Sifan, she goes and her day starts the same. She doesn't have to walk as far as Samuel, but she does have to walk down to a little stream to collect her water. It's not very clean, so we make sure that she gets a water filter so that it's clean and safe. And every week, Sifan's mummy, well, she grows a little bit of garlic in the ground beside her house and she brings it down to the market and she tries to sell it. She normally makes about pound fifty a week to look after her boys and girls. And while that's happening, Sifan is at home and she does lots of jobs to help. So she helps to make the food, she helps to light the fire, to boil the water, and she helps to do lots and lots of cleaning. And when we met Sifan, she had never had a chance to go to school. Her mum couldn't afford it. So we gave her a space in our Abdi Academy school, 
that we started six years ago out in Ethiopia. And every single morning, Sifan gets up and she waits for her friends who walk around. She's got her uniform on and she gets to come along to school. She gets to start every single day the right way. She gets her breakfast first thing in the morning, which is a big, big cup of tea and a nice big bread roll. Something to fill you up and something to warm you up. Then our boys and girls go straight to assembly where they all get to hear about how much God loves them and cares for each and every single one of them. And we make sure that nothing stands in Sifan's way. So from the simplest thing like shoes on your feet to clothes on your back to making sure that mummy gets a little bit of help at home to buy food, all of those things. We don't want anything to get in the way of Sifan's dreams of going on to one day becoming a doctor. And Sifan told me why she wanted to be a doctor. She said, if I become a doctor, I'll be able to help lots and lots of other people. And I thought, that's brilliant. We're helping little boys and girls who one day can go on to help lots and lots of other people as well. And it's the littlest things that make the biggest difference. When we were in Ethiopia, we bought lots and lots of wood and we chopped it up and we hammered it together and then we painted it. And you might wonder why we were doing all of those things. Well, when it was all put together, it looked like this. We went and we bought the best mattresses we could find, the best pillows and blankets and sheets that we could find. Because for lots of our boys and girls, they don't have a bed to sleep in. And so it's a little gift that shows our boys and girls God's love in action. It gets taken home and put into your house and it changes the whole house, not just for you, but for mom and dad and brothers and sisters as well. And this man here, Desmond Tutu, well, he sums it up brilliantly. He says, do your little bit of good where you are. It's those bits of good put together that overwhelm or that change the world. And it reminds us that all of us can do something small that makes a really, really big difference. And one of the questions that people often ask is, does it ever make a really, really big difference. And to tell you about that, I need to take you to one last place. The last place I wanna take you is the Dominican Republic, where 24 years ago, when we had just started Stand By Me, we started looking after this little boy here. His name is Wilton. And we first met Wilton sitting outside our little school. And every single day, Wilton would ask the same three questions. One, can I have something to eat? Two, can I have something to drink? And three, can I please go to school? Now, you might think that we had a really, really big school in the Dominican Republic in Monte Plata. It was a tiny old chicken shed. And we had space for 40 boys and girls, and yet Wilton wanted to be part of our school. And so we spoke to Ramon, who still looks after our boys and girls today, and we said, what's the chances of getting Wilton a space in our school? And Ramon said, don't worry. Don't worry, don't worry. He's on the waiting list. He thought, brilliant. Where is, is he number one, two, three, four, five? Where is he? He said he's number 100 
on the waiting list. And we thought, he's never going to get a chance to go to school. And so as we came back, we were praying, well, what do we do? And we felt that God was saying, will you build a bigger school? But we didn't have any money. But that doesn't stop God, because almost one year later, we had replaced our school with this, the Eva Russell School in the Dominican Republic. And every year, we added on some more classrooms. And you guessed it, this guy, Wilton, finally got his chance to go to school. And every day, every week, every month, we would be asking our kids the same questions. What do you want to be when you grow up? And for some of us, we change our minds. But for Wilton, he never changed his mind. He would always say, when I grow up, I want to be a doctor. You ask him a month later, I want to be a doctor. You ask him a year later, I want to be a doctor. Almost three years ago, I was sitting at my desk in Carrickfergus when an email came all the way from the Dominican Republic. It was from Ramon, and the subject was Wilton. And I opened up the email, and there was nothing written inside it, which is a bit strange. And then I looked down to the bottom, and there was an attachment. There was one photograph, and this was it. This was Wilton just three years ago qualifying not just as a doctor, but as a surgeon in his own country of the Dominican Republic. And I pushed my chair back from the desk and I was like, wow, God, you are amazing. As we do little things, as we look after boys and girls around the world, they grow up to become everything that you made them to be. And the most important thing for us is not that Wilton is a surgeon. It's that Wilton knows Jesus. Wilton is part of the family of God because he's put his trust in Jesus because we were able to show him God's love in action. It's all of those little things that we do that make a huge, huge difference. And it doesn't matter what age we are, whether we're the youngest here or the oldest here, all of us who love Jesus are told by God to go and to take this message of love from the neighborhoods to the nations right around the world. And you might be wondering, well, how do you look after so many boys and girls? And very briefly, the way we do it is that we bring a boy or a girl into our care. And when we do that, we try and find someone to stand with them. Just like Mark was saying at the start, we find someone who looks after them, makes sure they've got food and water and shoes on their feet and a chance to go to school. But more importantly than that, that writes to them and encourages them and prays for them. And our boys and girls, well, they never think of a sponsor about being about money. They think about it as a friend. And it makes such a difference to boys and girls like Wilton, like Samuel, like Sifan, like all of the kids that we look after around the world. 